How can you get a home when the bank says no? This podcast is dedicated to the 1 in 10 homeowners denied each year by the banks. Welcome to the Pre-Approved Podcast. Welcome to the Pre-Approved Podcast. I'm here with Darson. Darson, how you doing, man? Very good. Thank you. All right. Well, so I thought the best way to start with this is to do a little bit of introduction and telling your story, either from a, you know, a personal, you can get into some family, but really, you know, the, the W2 side, you know, siding into like a side hustle to now going into the full entrepreneurship. Do you mind, um, you know, doing a, a couple minute recap on, on kind of Darson's, Darson's story? You bet. The couple minute recap would be, I've always had an entrepreneurial part of my soul that's always been in me but I've always had the w2 job that paid all of the bills and never really never really jumped um had a um good paying w2 job for what 10 12 years and was let go from a couple of those and this last time last March I realized that you know let's let's try the entrepreneurial game so I was in a HR benefits w2 type job and alongside of that investing in rental properties Um, started doing that simply because we didn't love the idea of putting money in the stock market Uh, felt like it was uncontrolled risk and felt like the cash flowing rental properties was more more reasonable for what risk level we wanted to take and so did that Um, and then again like I said lost my uh, w-2 job in March of 2020 and kind of decided you know I don't have to, because we live on a pretty frugal, pretty low income per month lifestyle. I said, I don't have to sell that many houses as a realtor to pay those bills. And then anything on top of that is gravy. And uh, it's gone. I would say it's the real estate market. Anyone that's been paying attention the last couple of years, it's, it's doing very well. So it's going well. Yeah. And I think that either, I mean, it's either the market's doing pretty well, but even just as we'll get into it a little bit with your story on probably the things that you've done to maybe stay within your circle of control on things that you can control and how you're helping investors in the Des Moines area and, and different places. So that's pretty, pretty cool. So the March, 2020, I mean, that that'll ring forever for anyone that's gone through with it. Was that specifically related to COVID or was it just happen, happenstance? It was, I knew it was coming. I got new management. I knew at some point something was going to change, whether my job was going to change or I was no longer going to have a job. It was probably December, January of that prior year. I told my wife, I was like, hey, uh, something's going to happen at work. It's not going real well. We're disagreeing on some things. So I don't know what that means, but we aren't going to, we're not, we weren't living extravagant before, but we're really now we're not going to live extravagant. And we came from the Dave Ramsey payoff debt plan. So we had no, I mean, had no debt, had emergency fund. We're saving a great dollar amount into some type of investment. So it, yeah, it was, uh, yeah, it was good. It was, it was meant to happen. Wonderful. And, and what we'll get into, I'm hoping to share is like just the smile on your face that people could see like, Hey, this, this could have been the greatest thing that ever happened. I don't want to put words in your mouth, but just, you know, knowing you personally, Darson a little bit, it's like, man, you're, you're killing things. And so, so fast forward then about what, six or seven months, tell me about this property. They're like, Hey, I was thinking about living in this, thinking about, you know, investing in it. Or can you share a little bit on that story of like, Hey, you found yourself in a unique situation. Yeah, you bet. So as a realtor, you get to see everything on the MLS and property, you set filters that just meet certain criteria. And this was a filter that said, 
uh, property over a thousand square foot that had two bedrooms and yeah, thousand over over a thousand and two bedrooms. And so it hit my filter and it was an, it was a nice brick house. And in this part of town, there was, it was cookie cutter in the in 1950s. There was probably 20 of them. And I saw the house and I said to myself, like, that's, that's not a two bedroom house. That's four bedrooms and three bath. Every one of them are 1400 square feet. Um, and this one in particular was a walkout, had a walkout basement, which is very appealing to a lot of homeowners. So looked into it further, walked it, it was an estate. So family died um, or parents died, kids had it and I walked it and it was very outdated, but all the major things, the roof, the mechanicals, it was brick. So it didn't have anything there. All the major capital expenditures were taken care of. It was priced, uh, it was priced pretty high for that price or for that, that being so dated. So I just told the realtor, hey, Mike, I'd love to move my family in here. Um, but I can't pay this. I'll give you, it was listed at 230. I'll give you 185. And they said, no, we won't, that's too low. And I said, okay, whenever you want to take 185, let me know. And so this is a strategy I use as a realtor with a lot of my clients is, hey, know your price and just tell them this is the price. Whenever you want to come back to it, come back to it. So basically followed up every two or three weeks with the realtor and said, hey, any chance they want to take that? And it was no, 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 no. Until 60 days, they said, okay, they don't want to take this house in the winter. We're going to drop it to 200,000 tomorrow. If you say yes at 185, we're good with it. And I was like, okay. And so got through and, and I, I had a pretty solid offer. I waived inspections because I was pretty, pretty confident in that. Um, ended up getting a little bit more discount because the electrical box needed to replace. So I think I got it for 179. And so anyway, long story, bank, bank said, yeah, we're good with that. Even though you have realtor income, and we, we understand that it's volatile. We'll give you a high interest rate with seven or 8% interest rate. And I was comfortable with that just given the scenario. Um, and then, uh, was it two weeks before closing? They're like, yeah, we didn't realize that your like your income's so volatile. And I was like, that's being a realtor. I got to make 15 grand one month and two the next month. That's just, it's part of it. And so they said, no, we're not, we're not going to loan on this. And at that point, I was like, okay, I could drop this deal, but I knew that that house fixed up was around 250, and I it didn't take took you know 20 to 40 thousand dollars to fix it up. So the numbers there, as a flip, were there, and so I was like, okay, what are my options? And I obviously know you, Adam, and set your rent. And I said, set your rent deals with this uh, issue. Like this is literally what they're for. Um, it's it's how they work. So I said, hey, Adam, this is a scenario can we make this work? And so um, it was a week, I think it was a week and a half, two weeks that we were able to determine a, you know, a pretty good sizable chunk down payment, which I was going to do to the bank anyway. I mean, I was, I was scheduled to send it to them anyway. Um, and yeah, let's see what else happened there. And, and, <laughs> and remind me on the bank, was this like a, an institutional, like a bank of America, or was this like a local, local, was, like a community bank? Yeah, it was a local bank because I knew that I was unbankable for the grand scheme of things. I knew the normal bank wouldn't pick me up. So I reached out to the the most lenient bank in the area that typically says yes to almost anything. So, how, um, yeah. And how did, how did you find that? So that's that's a pretty cool distinction that the podcast listeners could link of, because if you go to a Wells Fargo or Bank of America, why 
why in your situation, Darson, did you know right away that like, hey, I, I'm not going to get a Fannie Mae Freddie Mac loan? Uh, I've been just being in the real estate world long enough. You understand what banks will say yes to and what they won't say yes to. And being an entrepreneur for the at least the first two years, they're really, really, really hesitant to give you a conventional, traditional loan. The Franny Freddie Mac, where the, the bank is just the broker. They're getting you the loan. And then they're, three months later, they're selling it off. So in order to sell it off, they have to make sure that loan underwrites and fits in this perfect box. And I didn't fit into that perfect box because although I had a really good W-2 paying job prior to, when I became a realtor, there was a couple months there I had no income as I was getting ramped up. Even though when I was closing, I had, you know, I was making more than I had made as a W-2 employee. Mm -hmm. So that's where this bank is typically fits the model. Um, I, they still, at this point where I've been doing it for an, uh, six months of consistent consistent sales income, I think they probably would have said yes to it. But because I had, it was three months of pretty much no income. Um, they, that's where they, I mean, that was their reasoning. And they, and they don't, that's the thing when you work with the bank, you don't, they don't have to prove why not. They just have to say, nope, sorry. Like there isn't anything not happening so and, and so on, on one of our episodes we were kind of highlighting the difference between a, a national and a local community bank or a regional bank and how there is it's more of a relationship based but even yeah like you said on both sides sometimes the national be like yep you're good to go and then like two weeks before like oh the underwriter or whatever you know they'll, they'll, they always blame it on someone like oh sorry you can't go and the people are like well what do you mean like i'm i'm two weeks away like you gave me this pre-approval letter um, and so the fact that it can happen, you know, regionally to it, it, you know, like it is, it is rare, but it is just like, you know, the, the business banker that you're working with or whoever the loan officer is like, oh yeah, just from a high level, it looks at it. But then when they go through all the nuts and bolts, sometimes there's just different boxes that they got to check or, or the vice president or somebody just happens to look through this and be like, you know what, I don't think this one works. And like you said, they might just give you a, a, a generic denial letter of like, oh, you know, not sufficient, you know information or something like that. And then it's like, Oh, okay. I guess you don't really have much of a recourse there. Yeah. You, I mean, the, the recourses, I mean, that's what, that's what you get when you put your eggs in the basket of someone else's decision, right? Like it's the reason I don't love investing in the stock market because I don't have a decision. I don't have a choice of how that stock goes. A CEO could do something stupid and I could lose money, even if you invest in the broad general index fund. So yeah, like dealing with the bank there's a risk factor dealing with the bank. The, the plus is the rates are really low, right? Like that's, that's the plus, but you, I don't say it's not guaranteed. It's not guaranteed, but it's just, it's part of the game. That's right. Um, okay. So, so, so I, and I kind of cut you off just because I wanted to dig in a little bit on the, on the financing side, because that's where a lot of people, um, you know, find that snake. So I'm glad we, we took a little dive into that. But now tell me kind of now we're into like the success week, right? So talk to me about through November until April, what, how, how did things change and how, how did things go with the property? Yeah. So the property, we were going to move into it and in order to move into it, we felt like we wanted to stay there for a long period of time and thinking harder on the area. So the, the neighborhood, we're a little weird. We have 14 chickens and a goose in Des Moines proper. In Des Moines, you can do that. Well, this is a neighborhood, a, a small community, just it's a small suburb, part of Des Moines, and they only allow two chickens. And so it was going to really change our lives in that aspect. We're going to have to 
do that, they, they're a little bit pickier about their property. So really sit, sit back and think about, do we want to live in this place, fix it up while we're there and then sell it in two years? Or do we just want to flip it? Because that is an option. Um, and running the numbers, figuring out where the flip, the, the rehab funds were going to come from. I was comfortable spotting those funds based on what I was seeing in the housing market. So again, in that neighborhood, there was comparables that were fixed up houses that were almost identical to this one that were selling for anywhere from 250 to 275. And I was pretty confident I could get the rehab done for under 40,000. And I think it came in just right at or just under. Um, and so I set up a contractor. I had a staging crew come in, um, staging console and, and literally give me the report of this is the paint color. This is the countertop color. These are the fixtures. These are the links to where to buy them from the Home Depot, Menards, wherever. And so I handed that report to the, the contractor and said, hey, this is what I want. Um, can you do it? And he could do all of it, except there's a couple pieces he subbed out. And so what a, what a good person to have that, that yeah, general it was contractor. very, it was a very good relationship. Um, and then, yeah, so then we listed it, gosh, was it March 1st, March? Yeah. The beginning of March. Um, so it was just at, just after 90 days. And so one of the rules when you're flipping houses rules, I say lightly, 90 day period has to go by before someone buying the house can get an FHA loan. So if a flipper comes in, flips a house in 30 days, if they list it, someone that's going to get an FHA loan can't buy that house. Which is that, and is that a purchase agreement or is that a close date for the, for the 90 days for FHA? Do you know? I do not know that answer. That's a good question. I think it is. I don't know. I don't want to answer that. (laughs) (laughs) Sure. But, but there, but there is some rules, like you said, cause, yeah. and, I, and I've heard of that on the FHA. It's like, oh, just be careful. Cause if, if they're going to do that, it's like, oh, they're either just not going to be accepted or you can only accept conventional. And that might yep. limit your buyers, especially with yep. the attractive three and a half percent down on FHA. Yep. So anyway, yeah. So in 91 days, we listed it, it sold in three days for 265. Um, and so we closed last Friday, I don't know, it was last week or something, but yeah closed out um, and then figured out the, you know, closing one of those is a little difficult because the closing company sees uh, the buyer and they see one seller, but there's also the seller behind the scenes, right? Who's holding the contract. So a lot more parties involved Um, in the future. I will definitely, and I gave them a heads up at the very beginning, uh, but just staying on top of the, the settlement, the closing company, that to make sure they understand, hey, these are the parties involved. This is the involvement. You need to get payoffs here, payoffs here. Um, but well, it, and 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 a couple of things that that we've noted too is sometimes, and, and you know, this could even be on us too. Like when a when a contract for deed is issued, because like in this case, they're dealing with a buyer, a seller, a contract for deed, and a first position mortgage on it. So like, okay, well, how do we make heads or tails of that. And for those people listening, you know, we don't want to get, you know, too in depth on it because we usually stay, you know, pretty high level, but from your case, like, okay, you're, you're in this on a contract for deed. So how is that different than just like a, a traditional mortgage? And, and how do you see that being be different? How is that, that different? It, to me to as a consumer, it's exactly the same as a first mortgage. Um, sure. I don't, I didn't look at it in any other way the fact that there was a lien on the house 
on the back end or as a first lien on the house, it really doesn't have anything to do with me because I know that I have a contract with set your rent to pay it off for X dollar amount. And as long as I get that dollar amount paid off to them, what they do with the rest of it, like it's, it's kind of irrelevant. It needs to be done, but it's irrelevant as a consumer. Yep. And, and, and so one thing that we always say for a tip, which is something that we, that we didn't do in this case, Darson, that's probably more of a shame on us is when, when you're doing this type of an agreement with someone, when there's a level of trust, uh, you know, a lot of things, it makes a lot of things go easier, but there is some situations where people get taken advantage of on a contract for deed. Like for instance, what if, what if for some reason we had taken the, you know, agreement and be like, Oh, what agreement. Right. And then you all of a sudden you're like, well, you know, where's my equitable interest. And so making sure that you have, you know, the signed copy or getting something, you know, filed at the county, you know, is a big one that's oftentimes like, okay, we just know things will work, but making sure that you follow things through so that if the title company is trying to sell this or we're trying to sell it, like, hey, there's there's a contract for deed here on this one, just making sure that all the proper channels get vetted. And in this case, it was like, okay, yeah, just make sure that we get the original copy, not just the signed copy and and a couple other, you know, miscellaneous things. But like you said, it is just like a, okay, here were the terms, here's the interest rate. And it, and it looks just like a mortgage where they're saying, you know, here's your, here's your amortization, here's your principal, here's your interest every month. And, and kind of, you go from there. So you, so you had that, that success. And I know you specifically are helping investors in Des Moines along with, you know, a couple other things on the real estate thing. So what's on the horizon for 2021 for Darson, who are you trying to help? You know, I, I'm struggling with that a little bit just because it's as a realtor, you're, condition to think residential units residential sales someone finds their dream home that's all they they as in the real estate companies teach on is you know find someone to sell find someone to buy um and i've because i've been an investor i just think a little bit different more numbers driven um i would say if someone sent me a three hundred thousand dollar house versus a five hundred thousand dollar house i don't know if i'd be able to tell the difference unless it was a location difference because i don't I don't know what high-end grade fixtures are. I don't know what a, because I kind of now know what Viking fridges are, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't price that into the, the property, but I, that's not my cup of tea. So, but if someone brought me a $500,000 apartment complex, I could tell you if that's overpriced or underpriced, just how the numbers lay out. Um, and so I've really worked with a lot of investors on building their portfolio of properties that maybe cash flow, maybe don't, depending on the area, depending on what the investor's goals are, because, and I've had them before jumping on as a realtor, I didn't realize the, the allure of an A class, B class property that didn't cash flow. In my mind, where I was at in my life was a limiting belief of why would anyone buy that? It makes no sense. Now I step back and I see, and I talk with investors that, you know, they have, hundred thousand dollars of extra cash sitting in their bank that again, they don't want to put in the stock market, but they want to buy a property that they don't have to think about that is in a good neighborhood with good tenants that quote unquote, not going to have too many problems with. And so helping investors try to figure that out is really what I've, I've done a lot of in Des Moines. I'd say over 75% of the 25 transactions I've done have been with investors of that capacity. Interesting. Yeah. And so that's, that's probably a good tip for not only investors, but home shoppers in general, where you're like, oh, here's the price point or here's the cash flow. And you look at the numbers of a 1900 house and it meets all the numbers, you know, of like, oh, I can afford this or I can do that. But then in the investor world, when you're looking at CapEx or maintenance, 
or if you're a homeowner and you're looking at, well, how much work am I going to have to put into this 1900s home? Those are kind of the hidden things that a lot of people um, either don't sometimes don't appropriate plan for or become unexpected. We're like, well, you know, now everything's so unique. Like, what am I doing with knob and tube wiring? Like, that's a, that's like a whole new can of worms that like you just don't even expect. Whereas the person that just bought a 2020 home is like, you know what? I don't think I'm going to have to do anything for like 10 years. And so you you kind of factor that in. Yes, I'm paying more and, and hopefully, you know, maybe there's some appreciation, but what a difference, you know, 100 years can make, you know, for, all the way from underground utilities to electrical to mechanical to just structural stuff. So that's a that's a pretty good point. And as you mentioned that the, the A and B class um, and maybe just do a quick breakdown of what, what, what do you mean by A, B, A class, B class? Yeah, I was thinking that. So and there's no good definition of this. I don't know how to explain it. If you're because I'm local in Des Moines, I can pretty much explain the areas that are A, B, C. Right. And really, it kind of goes outside in your exterior suburbs are usually usually your A class. And then you get closer to the core of the city. And before you get right to the core, it's, you know, your C class, D class. Des Moines really doesn't have very much D class. It's really there's very few bad places in Des Moines. And then you get the downtown city city and that's back up to A class properties. So the more rental properties are in a neighborhood would classify it as a C plus C type property. The more people living in the single family where they're actually living in the property, you're going to get to the A, B class um, style property. Um, sure. Back to your explanation though on the, the 1900s versus new where it relates to a residential is really there's so much new construction that's happening right now that when you're looking at a fixed up resale property, meaning it's, you know, built whether it's 1900s or it's 1980s and it's been fixed up to today's standards, there's still a premium for new construction versus that. So you should not be paying for a rehabbed property that's 1200 or 1500 square foot, three bed, two bath in one neighborhood the next neighborhood there's a new construction going like that's not the same property even though it fits all the same criteria it, it fits the same bath it fits the same everything is the same except the year built you're still going to pay less for that resale property so sure. things to think about when you're you know when you're shopping around for a home um and where to compare those two types of houses and that's why it's good talk with an agent who can explain those things because you could walk into the same house and it might look the same might look identical we're like oh well that sewer line was put in in 1950 this sewer line was put in in 2020 like if the average life of a sewer line is 50 years like okay well you know you may have a five grand expense on something whereas the other one's like okay you're never going to have it so that's why having a having an agent is is super helpful so if you had to describe darson um the the type of people that you help who would those people be i'd say people that are too, too fast. It's a residential individual that is looking to house hack, buy duplex, threplex, fourplex to live in. Like and, I've, and I've done specifically, a lot of, specifically, sorry, I cut you off. Um, yeah. Specifically in an area or, or, or anywhere just because uh, there are central, listeners across. Yeah. yeah. I'd say, I'd say in Iowa, in Des Moines within like a 60 mile radius of Des Moines. Okay. Uh, so there's in Iowa, you have Des Moines, the, the most populated and then you have a couple uh, Cedar Rapids, Waterloo, Sioux City, Council Bluffs, Omaha. I stay kind of in the in the state capital, in the core. So yeah, okay, people. So that's, that's bucket number one. Okay. Yep. And then bucket number two would be an investor 
that is looking for a rundown property ready to flip or turn it into a rental. Uh, I've got a pretty good eye on what's coming on the market, all of the wholesalers, and I'm an agent that will work with wholesalers and figure out that happy medium of getting a buyer, connecting, connecting them. And if somebody wanted to connect with you, Darson, what's the best way? Um, I'd say email, email, text, um, find me on Facebook. So Darson Grantham, pretty unique name. Uh, if you just, I say, just Google it, you'll find, you know, the best place to reach out. So, yeah, so, so I'm going to spell it out. So Darson's pretty easy. D-A-R-S-O-N, but Grantham, G-R-A-N-T-H-A-M is a little bit of a unique last name that if you're able to, to, to find that, I probably won't put your cell phone number in the show notes, but I'll put your email on there. Um, and then we'll just go back on which one you want to have in there, Darson. You, yeah, that's fine. <laughs> and, and I suppose you can just tell people if, if you want, which one do you want on there? email yeah yeah you could yeah dgrantham at kw.com wonderful that's that's how people can get a hold of you well darson thank you for sharing your experience on both the investor the buyer the agent the contract for deed i'm happy that everything worked out for you and kind of sharing um your story on how people can basically level up their life through real estate whether you're living it whether you're doing it as an investment property so appreciate all that and if anyone's looking for a home or investment property in that area would strongly recommend reaching out to Darson. Yeah. Thanks, Adam. I appreciate it. You're welcome. Take care. Yep. Bye. Thanks so much for tuning into this episode. You can always learn more by reaching out to us at homeequitypartner.com. Have a good day.